0: opportunity um, to get in your word. Um, We believe that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. So, Lord, we pray that you would continue to give us vigor, the same vigor we have in worship. Lord God, when we gather, we pray that we would worship you through our practices. And so, God, I pray um, that the words of my mouth And the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord God, my strength and my Redeemer, in whom we all trust. Everybody who trusts Jesus as Savior said, Amen, amen, amen. Amen. How y'all doing? This is the first time I stood up. I'm out of breath and hoarse. So, you know, um, y'all, the Lord is just really doing so much um, in Epiphany Fellowship and in each and every one of our lives. And so, I'm very, very, very excited about what God is doing um, in this church and in not just this church, but um, around our city and in our region. God is up to a whole bunch of things. Right now, we're in our series on Hot for Jesus. Say Hot for Jesus. Uh, You know, it's interesting that we want to really make sure that our spiritual lives are vital that our lives are marked by the gospel of Jesus Christ and that the reality and nutrition that is needed for us to grow and be developed be, be sown into the depths of our souls and so we're talking about ways in which I think we talk a lot about good theology around here and so what we wanted to do is we wanted to dive into some key practices of what it looks like to actually practice the Christian faith and today we're going to talk about a subject, sex and sanctification. Now, I don't have to have a show of hands about how much everybody likes the first S word, sex. But, but, I, but I don't know how many hands will go up if I ask how many people like the second S word, sanctification. I'm, I'm going to just try it. How many of y'all like sanctification? If some hands ain't go up, it's like, you know, we all in process. We all <laughs> in process. And so, and so today, I ain't even got to ask the other one. I ain't going to do it. We're going to keep you, you know, amen. And so today, pray for my voice. I shouldn't have so much today. So pray for my voice that God gets me where I need to be. But yo, so we're going to talk about this subject, and we're going to talk about it out of an interesting church in the New Testament. Um, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I'm, I'm not going to do, you know, I usually it usually takes me four to six weeks to teach on sex. So we're going to have another blueprint in October, and um, it's going to be called The Fundamentals. And when we do that blueprint, I'm going to talk about sex there, and we're going to do a big layout of it there. And so today, I want to give an interesting... Talk about it because I think biblically we need to dive into this. You know, and let me just give by way a backdrop before we dive into this passage. Is Thessalonica or the Thessalon- Thessalonian church was uh, a part was one of the cities in Macedonia. Macedonia was one of the poorest countries in Asia Minor. And Thessalonica or Thessalonians were some of the beefiest Christians in the New Testament. The Thessalonians were so beasty. Um, that, 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 that they had really grown in their theology and they had really grown deeply in their practices. Um, there are only two other churches in the New Testament that actually rival um, Thessalon- Thess- the Thessalonian church in the, its spiritual health, in its spiritual death. And that's the church at Ephesus and that's the church at Smyrna. And so as we talk today, we're going to be interested to see that even in the midst of such... A seemingly healthy church. I hope y'all paying attention to this part. This church, Paul bragged on to other churches to be like. Paul loved the Thessalonian church to the point he dispatched his young boy Timothy out to Thessalonica to jump in and chop it up with the Thessalonians and it said that they were killing it in the faith. But in the midst of all of the biblical theology that they had, in the midst of all of their small groups that they had, in the midst of all of the blueprint classes that they had, in the midst of all of their 180 evangelism outreach that they had, in the midst of all of their chopping it up and doing a good job at a whole bunch of great things, there was a problem. Paul began to address a multiplicity of issues with the Thessalonians to show them that even in the midst of their boomingness as a church and their momentum as the church, they're not immune from certain things. One of the things that they, were, that, that they didn't like, that they, they started rejecting different parts of the Bible. Paul had an issue with that. Some of them were idle. Some of them thought the rapture had come. And so Cass was like, you know, if it ain't happening, you know, let's just go ahead and just do whatever. Just chill out and hang out and, you know, sit, on, sit in coffee shops and chill out because Jesus has already come. So they had some crazy theology on that and People were idle, cats wasn't working. Cats was always in between jobs. Not working nowhere. Just chilling, what you doing today? Chilling. <laughs> and then there was another problem that plagued the Thessalonians. As healthy of a church as, it was, as, as the churches were in Thessalonica. They had a big issue and that issue was sex. The church, no matter how much it grows, I don't care what you see on a church, whether they're on TV or whether you listen to a podcast, no matter how much you look up to a church, every church has major issues. And, 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 and I believe that we need to deal with the major issues that are plaguing us as a church. And one of those major issues is sexual immorality. Many times you can go to churches and cats will talk about everything else, but but people are shacking, getting it in, smashing, running out, doing their thing, and it's like the pig, the hugest pink elephant in the room is cats is getting laid around the church. And nobody's talking about it. All types of goofy, goofy sexual relationships are going on. And I've been places where people know people was wigging out and nobody said anything to them about it. And so what they try to do is they ignore it and say, well, you know, they'll dispense what I call cheap grace. Say cheap grace. All us got issues. So you just got to love on them, not confront them. But just love on them and maybe one day without a rebuke they'll realize their need to repent. But when I look in the Bible, I look at how much the New Testament, I almost wrote a paper in seminary on just sex in the New Testament. The Bible talks a lot about sex. A lot. A whole lot. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Now, instead of looking at a bunch of pornography, some of us would be helped if we just go to the Bible and look at the Bible's talk about sex. And so what's interesting in this passage that Paul begins to dive into sex as a key component to growth. It's crazy. And so when we dive in and we see him talking about the need for sex and sanctification, you know what I'm saying? He, he really wants the Thessalonian church to see that they're out of the honeymoon period see we as Epiphany Fellowship have the honeymoon period is over I hope y'all listening to me it's over now we beginning to see how nasty we are y'all still with me? I I know y'all got quiet and now we're starting to second guess our existence because we're seeing how raggedy all of us are. And so what begins to happen is we begin to doubt Jesus, doubt the faith, and doubt whether or not we're on the right track. Well, what happens is, is I, I mean, I, I can't name the movie, but in a movie one time, you know, this guy wanted to be with this woman. And she began, she she said, she took off her weave. And she pulled off some eyelashes. And she pulled out her teeth. Pulled out her contact lens. And pulled out all kinds of other stuff. Because the person he thought he was trying to holler at. Wasn't the same, pr- he was like, what in the world is happening right now? And so what's happening with Epiphany Fellowship, you hear me, Aaron? What's happening at Epiphany Fellowship is that our spiritual weaves are coming off. And people seeing the buckshots in the back of our head, the BDB back there the receding hairline spiritually. We're seeing that we need tooth transplants, rotten teeth are being seen, halitosis on steroids is being seen spiritually. And we're trying to figure out what in the world did we get ourselves into? And some of you think you've been tricked. But God is saying, this is when your real Christianity starts. Your real Christianity starts when you begin to see one another's issues and you're still willing to grind and work through what it means to make sure... That all of us are mutually and in community, in community, in community, are conformed to the image, to the image of Jesus Christ, Christocentrism. I I know y'all missed that, but it takes commitment to do it. And so I'm trying to ask you a question, family. What are you doing here today? Are you here to see your favorite rapper? So you can marry one of them. I'm going to talk crazy today in a sanctified way. Are you here to get some? If you're here to get some, I'm getting real ahead of myself. If you're here to get some from somebody that's fine on both ends of the spectrum, you're in the wrong place. If you see a girl and you're here just to tap it, we're going to tap you. when sanctified thugism is okay. I'm getting ahead of myself. But, but we not going to, this is not going to be a church where it's going to be a lot of tapology. And we're not going to be presenting ourselves as smashable, Amen. I'm sorry, if you got teenagers, people under the age of teen, they may need to go up to the children's area today. But I'm not going to be raunchy. I'm going to be biblical. And so Thessalonians were dealing with Christians who were mad promiscuous. And so what happened is Paul had to remind them of some stuff. And so as we go in the text, check it out. I ain't getting got no points today. We're just going to walk the text. Is that all right? In verse 1, ch- chapter 4. I'm going to read it and then we're going to dive in. It says, finally, brethren. Oh, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to live and to please God just as you are doing, that you do, not do, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. I want y'all to read this verse with me. Verse 3. 1, 2, 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress or wrong his brother in this matter And the Lord is is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. Boom and stuff. Want to talk to y'all about something? We gonna talk. Let's let's, let's check this out. This This is unbelievable. He said, "We urge you in the Lord Jesus." It's dope. He said, "We urge and ask you." Then further down, he says, "He says that as you received from us, how you ought to live." Say, "How you ought to live." Yeah, most of us as Christians think that the only thing that the apostles taught was soteriology when they went to meet people. Some of us think that the only thing they thought they taught all was baptism. Some of us think that the only thing that the apostles or the apostolic delegates did when they pioneered in a particular place was high weighty doctrine. But one of the things that they spent, they were with people from six months to three years at a time. When the churches were first planted, they spent mad time with them, hanging out in, 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 in our equipment of coffee shops, houses, in the marketplace, with surroundings and chopping it up in small groups and walking with them from spiritual infancy to what? Spiritual. To... Yeah, and so because of that, what happened is one of the things that they began to talk to them about is Christian ethics. Say Christian ethics. Very important. Because some of us like weighty information only without a way to actually practice it. And so one of the things that they would do a lot of times is talk to Christians about Christian ethics. In other words... The way in which you skillfully practice the nutrients of the gospel. What does it look like practically? What does it look like in every single area of life? And so Paul says, I urge you and ask. We talk to you about how you should live. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. Crazy. After he had talked all of this doctrine about the doctrine of the Trinity. The gospel. Being by faith alone, through grace alone, through Christ alone the dividing partition being removed, and talking about the mystery of the church, then, he's, then he starts, he says, I say that so that you can walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called. See, some of us want to talk worthy of the calling, but many of us don't want to walk worthy of the calling. And anybody can talk smack and run their mouth, but when your, when your sneaks meet the pebbles of the street, where are your ethics? And so Paul and the apostles, they spent a lot of time making sure that Christians presented Christ's image in a beautiful and and, and, and gorgeous way so that the way of Christ would not be maligned. And so ethics, ethics was a deep part of the transformative aspects of what it meant for Christians to practice. And what's interesting is many of us say, don't look at me, look at Jesus. I understand why you say that. But how are they going to see Jesus? What are we going to ask them to do? Stare up into heaven till the heavens open? And just say, okay, Jesus, okay, let me, that's not going to happen. He needs, they need to see you and see Jesus ethically laid out in your life that's how they see Jesus Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, I know y'all are ready for the sex but I'm talking about the sex but I want to lay the foundation for it First 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says be imitators of me as I am an imitator of who? Christ and so the only Jesus that they're going to see is you on your campus, if people are sneaking through your windows but you're trying to have a Bible study, they're going to get confused. If you're slobbing down your boyfriend on the quad in the middle of the campus at night at 1130 p.m. and nobody else is out there, y'all are driving off into no sunset, it's just full moon. See, people want to see Christians fail want to see us. The issue is we know we have an advocate, but they don't know that yet. And I'm not calling for Christian perfectionism like Wesley would say, but what I am calling for is for us to recognize the nature of our doctrine meeting our practice. And so one of the biggest things that we'll see in Paul as he urges them, is he really, and based on Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ even urges them, is the way you treat one another and the way you engage the lost. John 15 will show them that you are mine. And so at Christian ethics, people of God, is a very important part of the Christian faith. And so now we got to begin to walk as biblical Christians And thinking about that. And so the thing that he says that's interesting, there's a beautiful concept that I want to spend time on, is he says, we ask and urge you in who? In the Lord Jesus. Wow. Wow. The Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus. Lordship. Lordship. That means someone runs things in your life. People say, I, I thank my Lord and Savior. Be careful of calling him your Lord and Savior if you're not practically submitting to his lordship. The word kurios here is used to address Jesus' lordship and, and how it should impact their practices. Paul is pointing to the, to the point that all of our actions should be centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's preaching Christocentrism here. He's not talking about ethics that are just us doing practices, five ways to get to heaven, ten ways to not have sex with your girlfriend, nine ways to go this place. No, he's not talking about that. He's talking about the centrality of the person of Jesus Christ. And so it is important that Paul defines believers as under Christ's saving lordship. It communicates simultaneously the gift of salvation and the accompanying divine demand of salvation. And so when you are a Christian, you have a Lord. People like Jesus saving them. But many people don't like Jesus leading them. And at the center of Christian ethics is not just him saving you, but his continuing to save you is him being pragmatically Lord in how you think and how you practice. And so this is what is very important for the believer to understand. And so the act of being in Christ here is to act in faith and obedience and face false alternatives. In Christ neither serve. He says in in Galatians 5, 6, There's neither circumcision or uncircumcision. It it says, has any force, but rather working through love. And so when we talk about this idea of the beautiful lordship of Jesus Christ, that means that practically, we're going to have to begin to stitch our lives together through Jesus Christ as Lord, not just merely as a title, but as a practice of the Christian faith. And without his lordship, our ethics are off. Are off. And so... It's interesting that this is one of the only places in the New Testament that he says in Christ Jesus and in our Lord Jesus. Because he wants them to really understand the nature of the Lordship of Jesus Christ as the motivation for what he's about to tell them. So we don't teach works-based sanctification. We teach faith-based sanctification. That means that he saves you by grace through faith alone and he grows you by grace through faith alone. So that means you got to continue to believe, to experience the glorification of Christ growing you from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. So the Christocentrism in this passage is pointing us to the means by which you do this is Jesus. If you walk away just dumbed down and and hurt by what's going to be talked about today, you're going to have a very hard time because you can't do what I'm about to talk about on your own. You can't. Our failures tell us that we can't. But look at what he says after that. He says the purpose of the Christian, he says that you receive from us how you ought to live and to please God. Say please God. It's interesting. Is that here he's talking about pleasing God. Now, in the gospel, Jesus Christ on the cross has already pleased God. Let me say that again. This is very important for you to understand. Jesus has already pleased God. It's very important before we move on that you understand this part of the teaching. Because many of you are still trying to please God. But you don't please God absent from Jesus. See, and that's why some of you are legalistically weighed down with your failures. Because you're trying to please God with churchy methodologies of sanctification. But Jesus is not the means in which you please God. But throughout the New Testament, even though Jesus has already pleased God, God, in our sanctification, still demands that we please Him. Now somebody said, I'm I'm confused right now. I'm I'm glad you're confused. Because Colossians chapter 1 verse 29 says that Paul labors with the energy that comes from who? Jesus Christ. So your ability to please God comes from the fact that Jesus already pleased God and you're just walking in the pleasure that he already pleased God with. Let me see if I can make it plain. Let me see if I can make it plain. I used to like when I was a little kid, when it was snow, and, and, and there would be footprints up and down the path. Especially if the snow was like this. And because I was afraid that it, I would mess up if I, if I died, tried to step in by myself. And I hate it when snow got in my boots and numbed my feet. And then you get in front of the stove, we ain't have no heat in the house. So I get in front of the stove like a dummy because my feet numb. And my feet would hurt like somebody was hitting them with sledgehammers. So what I began to do is there were people that were taller than me that had already took the time to walk through the area in the direction that I want to go. And so instead of trying to create a new path, I would look at where there were already footprints. Somebody going to hear me in a minute. And what I would do is I would step where there was already steps made for me, and I would step... And no snow would get in my feet and I would go all the way through and I wouldn't, my feet wouldn't get numb because I'm walking in a path that was already set for me. See, when it comes to pleasing God, you're pleasing God by walking in Jesus' footsteps that he's already laid out for you. So you're not trying to please him really, you're walking in the pleasure that Jesus has already laid out, therefore you do please him because the only thing that pleases God is Jesus the only thing that pleases God is Jesus let me say it again the only thing that pleases God is Jesus and so we go through the New Testament Romans 8.8 8, please God First Corinthians one twenty one it pleases God it pleases God Philippians 4.18 pleasing to God 1 Thessalonians 2.14 please God Hebrews 11 pleased God Hebrews uh, 13, 16 do not neglect to uh, to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God and so as we go through this I really want you to understand that you're not merely trying to please God because that means you're trying to earn something that was already gotten for you but when we look at Christus exemplar. Christ Christ is our example. And that means that he's already set the tone for what it looks like to do what you're trying to do. I had to lay that out so you don't go out of here so doggone hurt and so doggone convicted that you can't do it. And so Jesus pleased God by being a propitiation. Say propitiation. I got to lay this out. This is Christian ethics, y'all. That means that he pleased the Father's wrath. He extinguished it. He extinguished it. And so what we see is Christ's death on the cross has already pleased God, and now God is no longer flamingly angry with his people. But now we got to walk in the reality of the pleasure of his death on the cross. Now we get into the knit and grit. He says something interesting here. And it, it, it blows my mind. A friend of mine, Blake and I, we always talk a lot about, he's a pastor in Houston, we talk a lot about this verse all the time. And we're blown away by it. He said, This is the will of God. The biggest question for Christians is people always ask, How do I know the will of God? I'm going to preach real slow today. How do I know the will of God. And so they want to pray and fast and they want the angel Gabriel to show up and say, wake up, young one. I have a message for you. I have come to you to answer your prayers and let you know what the will of God is. That's probably not going to happen. Some of you are waiting for somebody to bring a prophetic utterance over your life, which we're not against that. Amen. Praise God. I have a word for you, sister. Amen. The will of God. And you're waiting. Talk to me. Talk to me. And we're looking for God to give us his will outside of his word. But the Bible has a bunch of purpose statements that let us know what his will already is. Now this is powerful. He said, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Wow. Wow. Sanctification has three parts. Positional sanctification, practical sanctification, and permanent sanctification. Positional sanctification is when you got saved, God, took the Holy Spirit, based on 1 Peter 1-2, removed you from the kingdom of darkness and placed you into the kingdom of his marvelous son. He placed you in what's called the sheepfold. Say the sheepfold. So even though you're in the world now, you're not supposed to be of the world. That means you're insulated, but you're not isolated. Based on the uh, high priestly prayer. Stay with me. I'm going somewhere with all of this. And so that's positional sanctification. But then, let me go to permanent sanctification. Permanent sanctification is first, is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Where we will put off immortality and put on... And put off, Mortality and put on immortality. Well, he will fully sanctify us and we won't cry no more. We won't scrape our knees anymore. Nobody will hurt our heart anymore. It's over. We are in the eschaton, chilling out with the living God forever. But now there's the middle part it's the grime and grit of sanctification. I got to finish today, so we're going to be a while. The grime and grit of sanctification. It's the process. Paul says the will of God is that right now you be ushered from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. That means that every single area of your life be conformed to the image of God and we do the hard work of joining God and growing us spiritually. That's his will. Some of us say, should I marry this person? Should I take this Should I take this class? Should I get this major? Should I move here? Should I go to that church? Ask yourself the question, how does this sanctify me? But see, most of us will commit to the most easiest road, and so God has to providentially close doors to get you to move through the harder doors. (laughs) So the will of God is that we look like Jesus and grow from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. But what's crazy is, is it, you would think that he'd stop there. You think that he was, okay, he wants us to grow up, praise God. Then he'll list a bunch of ways. That's not what he did. He said, This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Why, and then he just begins to go off on that. It's interesting that in this passage, it seems to say from Paul that one of the key things to stop you from growing spiritually is your sexual practices. Some of y'all been spending time in prayer. Some of y'all been going to small groups. But you've been getting it in with your girlfriend. You've been getting it in with somebody. You've been getting it in with porn. You've been masturbating. You've been doing all types of... You've been getting in with other dudes, other women, whatever your thing is. And you've been wondering why your spiritual life is stalled. It's because you want to grow without sanctification in that area. In other words, we want God to grow us spiritually and detour us around that particular area of our life. But God is trying to tell us God is trying to tell us that you're not going to grow if you keep acting sexually a fool. If you keep masturbating, you're going to feel the guilt of your sin over and over again. If you keep saying, I won't do it no more, and you still get it in, you're going to continue to feel that guilt. And I'm going to talk about how the cross takes that away, practically. Practically but we need to park here for a second because it's gonna be very important that you understand this the word for sexual immorality is the word "pornia." say "pornia." see I gotta explain this word, this is where we get our idea of pornography from and some of us think that only penetration is sexual immorality some of us some of us, I'm gonna teach it some of us think that because we didn't get it in that we didn't get it in and because of that you're wondering why you're still feeling spiritually funny it's because porneia is broader than just taking off your clothes and getting it in porneia is a massive word to include a bunch of things under the umbrella of sexual immorality and I'ma name those things and I'ma talk about godly sex and ungodly sex but porneia Lays out several things. It lays out incest, pedophilia, violent sex, that is rape, imagination, commercial sex, that's prostitution, bestiality, we ain't got to explain that, homosexuality, sexual worship or prostitution, Masturbation and self-stimulation, I'll explain why that is an issue. Now, some of y'all say, I'm cool. Okay, let's make it more plain. Penetration of all types. All types. So, we ain't got to go into those types. Grinding. Heavy petting. Masturbation. Slobbing down. Oral sex, homosexuality, foreplay, mutual masturbation, viewing porn, long-term looking at people's parts. Wow, look at her. Immodesty. Self-presentation of yourself to get people to look at you. Low-rider so people can see your phone. Low, showing the crack right here, and so they can see your tattoo low down. Sexual immorality. All of these are different areas of deep sexual immorality. And one of the things that we need to understand as Christians is that these are issues that we need to deal with. Because many of us fool ourselves because we've done everything but. Many of us are fooling I and well, all we did was, all I did was put my hand on her, and we, but we didn't do anything. We want to qualify the level of sexual immorality that we've done. And the Bible says the will of God is that you grow spiritually. I can remember what it was like for me when I first started walking with the Lord. That was a strong issue for me, a strong issue for me. I was on a college campus and I was evangelizing the campus, but I was struggling with the girl that I was with at the time. And I couldn't keep my hands off her and I couldn't, I I used to always have the tape on my door so that my roommate wouldn't come in. Because I, but I was calling myself a Christian, preaching on the campus, teaching Bible studies, but getting it in with my ex. And I couldn't understand why God wouldn't take me further in my walk with him. And the the God of heaven had to jam my soul up. And so there are multiple, there are multiple, multiple issues with all of us as Christians as we deal with this idea of promiscuity in our hearts and in our minds and in our flesh. But there are multiple obstacles to sexual morality. Expected to be, um, one of the things is emotional promiscuity. Let me explain that. Some of us attach our hearts to everybody. Can I make it plain? Some of us are always deeply imagining us being with someone, and so we can't chill out being single because we're always, we're not following God, we're always imagining that we're with a particular person, getting it in with them, or we're attaching ourselves to them. And so what happens is, is we are distracted from walking with Jesus because we're not trying to find a good thing, we're doing a bad thing by becoming emotionally promiscuous. That means we're hanging out with one another. That's why I told y'all, and y'all can say I'm legalistic, I struggle with whether or not a Christian male and a Christian female can just be friends. And and go to the movies together talking about we best friends. Because I'm trying to tell you right now, she don't want to be your best friend. She done already picked out her dress in her mind. She know who her bridesmaids are going to be. Come on somebody. Ladies, y'all know I'm telling the truth. And so, and so we, we, you, you talk at the three in the morning about the word of God, walking her through passages, discipling her. And some of you ladies front like you're discipling a guy, but really you're trying to get them marryable, And then you find, yourself, you find yourself emotionally attached to them, and then he done got it in with you. You convicted because you cursed the name of God, and you're wondering, what in the, how in the world did we get to this place? Some of us are emotionally promiscuous. In other words, you know you're emotionally promiscuous if someone says, we got to have some boundaries on how we, get to, how we talk to each other and your heart gets broken. If your heart is hurting, you're in love. Lust, that is. Mismanagement of loneliness. Some of us mismanage our loneliness. And some of us, when we have nothing to do, we spend an inordinate amount of time masturbating and surfing the web, men and women. Some of us as ladies look at those novels with the dude on the front holding the lady. That's called female porn. Some chick flicks are female porn. See, we always get them with the guys. But there's an untalked about thing in the church of women addicted to pornography. See, pornography with women is different. They don't have to visualize. They just conceptualize. And then their body reacts to that. Sin, immorality, trusting in your boundaries. Some of us have boundaries set up and we pride ourselves on boundaries. But when you begin to trust in your boundaries and not Jesus Christ, then your boundaries become your Lord, not Jesus Christ. And then you want, there are ways around every boundary. Let me tell you something. It's good to have boundaries. You know we talk about boundaries here, right? But many of us don't realize that there are ways around it if you don't want your heart to be knit to the Lordship of Christ. See, some of us got covenant eyes and all that kind of, but it's ways to get around covenant eyes. All you got to do is go to the library. (laughs) Some of us have all kinds of ways of getting around the boundaries that we set up. So at the end of the day, your heart has to be willing to be held accountable to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and particular people in the community to help hold you accountable to those boundaries. And if not, you're just going to delude yourself and act like you have boundaries, but you really don't have them. It's very important to to, to understand that. Murky dating direction. (laughs) Dating someone with no direction towards marriage. The Bible says people without vision are unrestrained. That means if God's vision isn't a part of why you got together, then it's no telling what you're capable of. And so when you have a directionless relationship, we we just talking, you know, we, y'all, what's going on with y'all, y'all, you know, we just talking, (laughs) you know, we just getting to know each other, we just gonna go out, and when you go out, you're getting all attached and deeply uh, entrenched with one another, and then when things don't work out, You break from that person. Then you start dating another person to check things out and to see how things is going. Then you date them. Then you detach from them. Then you go over here, attach to this person. Rack cow, rack cow, rack cow, rack doggone cow, rack doggone cow. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you're unable to practically receive who God would have for you because so many people are in your system That to become one flesh means you have to be unsanctified. You have to become sanctified out of all of those emotional attachments, just to begin to become one flesh with the person that God actually wants you attached to. That's why, by the way, we have premarital counseling. Premarital counseling is Holy Ghost and Bible. Holy Ghost and Bible. So, 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 and I'm gonna talk about that soon too. But it's very, very important that you don't have murky dating direction. That means somebody needs to ask you, what's going on between you guys? Where are you all going? What's the goal of this relationship? Because if you don't have goals, then y'all are just going to be going into all types of immorality and all types of stuff, and then you'll begin talking to somebody else, and then they say, well, we weren't really in a relationship. Overestimating your strength and tolerance threshold. overestimating how strong you are. Some of you all think you can get into enough and everything, but when, you know, when the TV on, and you know, when that part come on, I'm going to just turn the channel real quick and then turn back. See, I ain't as strong as you. Some of us overestimate how strong we are. And what happens is, is you get into some mess because you overestimate your strength. Engagement's lasting too long. If you've been engaged two years, two years, are y'all gonna get married? Well, we gotta get this right. We gotta get this right. We better. We well, y'all messing up during the process. Up, oh, we messed up. Up, oh, we messed. Up. I can keep going. No guidelines given by the church. Now, I made a statement a few months back to kind of retract legalism, but now I'm going to talk to y'all. We're going to be holding couples accountable of their relationships. That means you need to be prepared for people to ask you where are you going and to set Boundaries, help you set boundaries. That means somebody need to ask, okay, what's the status? What's going on? And have you talked to her dad yet? If he's alive. Or the guardian in her life. Because some of us are stealing women from guardians and parents because we start dating men's daughters because 1 Corinthians 7 said they belong to daddy. But if you haven't talked to daddy and you're trying to get his daughter but he don't know that you're sneaking in from the back door like LL Cool J, that you need, by Jesus' grace, you need to be rebuked. Because we're going to need to set this stuff up to be able to engage. And I'm going to do a little mini-series on biblical courtship. <laughs> and some people seeing le- uh, uh, relational direction as legalism. and so, but, but some of you are saying, dang, I feel so guilty. Good. However, we don't want you to stay there. Because Jesus Christ is your expiation. Say expiation. Yeah. That means that Jesus Christ took away the guilt of your sin. Isaiah 53, 4 says, Surely he bore our griefs and and carried away our sorrows. That means he removed them. So check it out. So I remember the other day my son, my son was tripping on me and he was grieving deeply about his sin. And, and I had to talk to him about it. He was just crying uncontrollably. I said, something what's wrong with you? He said, I don't know why, Daddy. And he was doing the, 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 hiccup, call, um, the hiccup cry. And, and, I said, and I said, son, what's wrong with you? And he said something he's never said to me. He said, my sin hurt, is hurting me so much right now. And he said, and you know, I'm about to weep myself. He said, and it's hurting me badly. And I had to, I took one of his little things and I did a puppet deal with him. And I said, I began telling him a story about expiation. And I began talking to him about how Jesus bore our griefs on the cross. And how not only did he satisfy God's wrath, but how he removed the grief that comes with our sin so that we can walk in sanctification. Some of us, our grief is so heavy for us is that we're continuing in sexual sin because we haven't walked in Jesus being our expiation yet. And as I began, and this was a bedtime story, and I told him a bedtime story, so every time I see my son, I said, what does this mean? And he says, Jesus is our expiation. And so we got a little simple we do, me and my young boy, we do that. But at the end of it, When I began to tell him that and began to teach him about the cross and the fact that Jesus removed the grief, his tears dried up and he went to sleep. I'm praying today that many of you, there's deep moral failure on all of our behalves here today. And you've been beat up by your sin. And I'm praying that you would apply the fact that if you've been in any of those sins, we're not trying to beat you up. We want you to trust Jesus Christ as your practical Savior in this particular area of your life so that you can see that he removes the grief. If you're grieving about your sin, I'm asking you to allow Jesus to remove the grief of that sin. Excuse me. And so, I'll teach the rest of this when we have a deal on sex, but I want to talk about some positivity about this thing. Sex should be personal. That means relational. Genesis 1.27 says, a thing, based on us being in the image of God, we should properly practice sex in a relationship in marriage. Amen? Sex must be exclusive. That means unique. Genesis 2.23 Eve looked so good in her body that Adam prophesied. Adam looked at Eve when God made her and he said, oh my goodness. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. He did a hook back then, that thing, and said whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, 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 man. Yo, whoa, 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 whoa. And then he said, For this cause. He said, A man uh-huh, uh, shall leave his father and his mother. And he said, He shall cleave to his wife. He said, She is bone of my bone uh, and flesh. Of my flesh. Yet yeah, alone. We're going to be fruitful and multiply. Yes, we are. He prophesied. The first prophecy in the Bible. She was so fine, he started prophesying. He got the gift of prophecy looking at his wife. That's good sanctified stuff. That means if you marry, go for it. If you're not married, sorry, wait. (laughs) Um, But married, go after it. Go after it. Be free to do it. However, sex must be intimate, profound. Must be profound, song of songs. Must be profound, intimate. Sex must be fruitful. It said be fruitful and multiply. Fruitfulness points to not just the multiplication of having image bearers. But also it points deeply to the need for the relationship between husband and wife to actually grow through that sexual relationship. And so husbands and wives should be more and more in tune with one another. In other words, some of y'all think because y'all can go to girl to girl, you a sexual God. But I'm just telling you right now, if you can please one woman for a lifetime and grow in it under God, you a beast. Reputation ain't based on how many chicks you can get. Let me say that again because it's important to understand that Jesus-centered sex. There is a such thing as that. In every area of life, you should be going from spiritual (laughs) infancy to spiritual maturity. So Jesus-centered sex should grow. Out the park, it should grow and develop. It should be more enjoyable. It should be more of a blessing. Because, see, so many of y'all have heard the bad part about sex that you haven't heard the good part about sex. And so you will have problems in marriage with sex, but you got to work through them. That's called sanctification. Some of y'all thought when you get married, oh, it's going to be a blessing. Let me tell you something. There's going to be some, And you better learn. You better learn. And grow in grace from spiritual to spiritual spiritual to spiritual. I'm just trying to help us grow. I know we're taking time, but I'm going to keep preaching until I finish this. Because I want you to walk out not angry about how sinful you are about your sex life. I want you to begin to develop a sanctified mindset. I want you to look forward to getting married, single folk. I want you to pray this week. God, in the name of Jesus, get my eyes off porn, get my eyes off this, get my eyes off that. And God, what I want to do is I want you to store up some stuff in me. I mean, help me so that the wedding night can be explosive. But not only the wedding night, but a lifetime of growing sex. Every one of y'all, you need to have a vision. People without vision are unrestrained. I'm giving you vision. You should have a vision of having good sex when you get married. Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 5, read it, 15 through 21. Exhilarated by her breast, that's what the Bible says. The Bible says, get it in, get drunk. Jump on a chandelier, swing around the ceiling fan. Ah, play Tarzan, whatever your thing is. Listen, I'm just trying to tell you, enjoy it. it I know it's already hot in here, but it's got a little hotter. See, you can't talk about sexual immorality until you understand sexual morality. So store it up. Single people say, I'm going to store it up. Say it again. I'm going to store it up. Yes, yeah, store up some good old-fashioned... Listen, let me tell you something. I, you, listen, don't get sexually frustrated. Just ask God to give you self-control to wait so that when the outlet comes, you are fully prepared and willing to get it in and and in a good way but sex should also be sacrificial cross-centered sex must be sacrificial see masturbation trains you to be selfish pornography trains you for your own pleasure so what happens is when you get married and someone else is looking to give mutual pleasure You look out for yourself and you don't last long. Because you're looking for yourself and not looking as men to get on the cross even in the bedroom. Oh, we got real quiet on that one. And so what what I mean by that is that you're supposed to be selfless even in how you interact with your mate. That is very, very, very important. But if you train yourself to be selfish before you get married, when you get married, you're going to be even more selfish. And then you're going to have to learn some lessons. It should be multidimensional. That is Song of Songs is mind, emotion, will, and body. And then finally, and I hope we didn't have to say this, it should be complementary or corresponding to the difference. That means a man with a woman. A man with a woman. Not a man with a man and a woman with a woman. Not menage or none of that. A man with a woman. And so I'm praying that as you look at your spiritual life, and we're talking about being hot for Jesus, not hot for everybody else. Hot for Jesus. If you're going to walk and being hot for Jesus, reason why I put this in this part of the series is because you can't. Next time we're going to talk about the word of God and us getting in the word of God. But I'm just trying to tell you that you're not going to grow until you address this area of your life. It's going to be a very great challenge in your life. And so I'm praying that God would give you the grace to walk in sexual purity couples who are not being intimate. I pray that God would increase your intimacy and take you deeper into him. And into one another, and that the husband and the wife will see the cross even in the bedroom. And I pray that single people, you would even see the cross right now of you storing up. Jesus died on the cross because he knew that a resurrection was coming. Get on the cross before you get married. And when you get married, you can experience multiple resurrections from the grave by experiencing the newness of life that God brings, and the beauty of it, the beauty of sex. And so I'm praying that we would not be a church where a pe- bunch of people are sleeping together, or getting with people on the college campuses, and that we're not marked by that. And I pray that if you're in the middle of that right now, that God will give you the grace to allow Jesus Christ, if you're not in a relationship with Jesus Christ, that He would put you in a relationship with Him, not to stop you from having sex, but be in a relationship with God, through Jesus Christ, and all of the other stuff will come. And if you are a believer and you're deeply discouraged, matter of fact, last night you failed. This morning you failed. Last week you failed. I pray that the cross would deeply influence your spiritual life and that God would give you the grace to wait and to store up everything that is needed for you to be able to enjoy. If the Lord allows you to get married, praise the Lord, but be patient. Say, be patient. Be patient. Father, this is a crazy subject that we get to talk about. And Lord God, we're we're not finished with it. We'll talk about it again in October. But it's interesting that Christian ethics is a part of basic Bible doctrine. Basic. We talk about a lot of things as fundamental Bible doctrines. But it's interesting that in Acts 15... One of the things that they exhorted them about was sexual immorality as fundamental to their ability to walk as godly Christians. We see it all through the New Testament. I'm blown away by how much, by how much you talk about it and how much we don't talk about it. And so I pray that the world wouldn't be viewed as the best place to interact in sex, Lord God. It's disappointing that we think that something you can cre- that you created for your glory is better enjoyed when we're not glorifying you. And so, God, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would bring shalom to our sexuality, Lord God. That you would restitch it together so that it may reflect your original design. And God, in the name of Jesus, I pray for someone here today that doesn't know you. Who doesn't know you and they're trapped in not knowing you. Lord, I pray that they would repent of their sins and turn to Jesus Christ as the the ultimate sacrifice for their sin. The only sacrifice for their sin. And that in them turning to him, that they would place their faith in him by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And Lord God, I'm excited. I'm excited about seeing some people get hot for Jesus. I'm excited about seeing ladies who have failed morally. Men who have failed morally. Men in their marriages who have failed morally. That you would cause repentance and deep restoration and empowerment through the gospel. That allows them, that allows not them but us to experience the beauty of your original design on your terms, God. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Savior, you want to trust him. There's some cards on the back table. We want you to fill out. And we want to chop it up with you and talk to you about what it means to trust Jesus Christ as Savior. Father, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.